Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. Hey everyone, the iconic Deepak Chopra needs no introduction, so I'm going to get right to it. In today's show, he discusses what we don't spend enough time on in the longevity conversation, spirituality. We tend to talk a lot about nutrition, supplements, exercise, and even biohacking, but not enough about the spiritual side of longevity and health span. Deepak is here today to provide his necessary wisdom. Our conversation definitely changed how I view longevity in this day and age, and I bet you'll walk away from the show feeling a lot lighter. Enjoy. Deepak, welcome back. It is so great to see you. Always a pleasure. You look fantastic. Uh, Congrats on the new book, Living in the Light. I think the last time I saw you in person was back in June 2019 at our Revitalize event when we honored you with our Lifetime Achievement Award. And I believe the last time we spoke was virtually sometime, I think, during the middle of COVID in in the spring of 2020. Um, So I'll start with, how have you been? What have you been up to? I've been very well. I've been uh, experimenting with experimenting with something called the longevity experiment, uh, extending human health span, lifespan. Just finished this book, which is out, Living in the Light, uh, Yoga for Self-Realization. I have another book coming out end of this year called Quantum Body, which is about the future of uh, longevity and well-being. And then another book called Awakening, my personal story. So I've been busy. Wow. So again, on the theme of longevity, I think you're 76. As I mentioned, you look great. You sound great. You're sharp. You're vibrant. You're still writing books. You've written, I think, 90 plus books. You're you're out there doing interviews. And, you know, I'm curious in, in, in terms of longevity, we tend to talk here on Mind, Buddy, Green a lot about nutrition, supplements, exercise, biohacking, but maybe not enough about the spiritual components. Uh, and I'm curious, what's your take on what's required spiritually uh, in terms of our human existence on this planet in the context of longevity and, and how you think about that? In my tradition, there are four ashrams in life. Ashram means locations where you rest, which you call home. So the first ashram is 25 years. It's called education. The second 25 years, the ashram or phase of life is taking care of family, also material success, fame, fortune, all of that, including sensual delight, sexuality, etc. The third ashram is from 50 years to 75 years, and that's giving back to the world everything you've gain from the world. The fourth ashram, which is what I entered now, I'm 76, is self-realization and preparation for death uh, consciously. So I'm obviously in the fourth ashram. And you ask, and that is supposed to be from 75 to 100 years. And the exit strategy is Mahasamadhi, which means you have a party, say, been there, done that, celebrate, even maybe have a glass of champagne. And then you close your eyes and go into the big meditation. And you choose that exit as meditation 
including planning your next incarnation if you want. So I'm in that phase now and I'm having a, a absolutely delightful time. Uh, to answer your, so, you know, I'm the fourth quarter. Now to answer your question, what's missing in longevity, um, spirituality, for all the things you mentioned actually work, biohacking, signal molecules, adaptogens, and then, of course, regular lifestyle things like sleep, emotions, uh, mind-body coordination, yoga, breathing, pranayama, all of this work. What's missing is actually goes back thousands of years ago. And that goes to, uh, again, the spiritual tradition I come from, Vedanta. It says, time is the consumer and we are its food. That's how it starts. Time is the consumer. We are its food. We are time's food. And then the scripture goes further. It says, how do you go to a place where there's no time, where there's no body, and there's no aging, no entropy. And the, it's very clear. First, you have to change your perception of the physical body as a material entity. There's no such thing. Even science will, even though we talk about physical science and physical body and physical biology, what we call the physical body is not a noun, it's a verb. It starts as a fertilized egg, then zygote, then embryo, then baby, then toddler, then teenager, young adult, mature adult, old person, all the way to death. So if you say, I have a body, you have a problem. Which one? You have all these bodies that you've experienced, and they're all in the past. Even this body that I'm looking at right now on the screen is in the past. It's your dream body. It's called karmic body. And it's in the past. How do I say that? Well, by the time you listen to my words, they don't exist. By the time you register Deepak on the screen, the Deepak that you register doesn't exist. If I asked you what happened to your childhood, you'd say it's a dream. If I asked you what happened to your teenage years, it's a dream. What happened to yesterday, it's a dream. What happened to this morning, it's a dream. What happened to five minutes ago? It's a dream. What happens to these words? By the time you hear them, they don't exist. So what you're looking at is a ghost already. What you're looking at and the whole world that you experience is, is a collective dreamscape in a lucid now. And we call it the physical world, but there's no such thing. So the great wisdom traditions say, if you want to conquer death, or you want to actually have a good exit strategy, then recognize you don't have a physical body. It is actually a perceptual activity in consciousness, and it's a modification of consciousness. So learn to experience your body, not as physical, but as formless awareness. So I do that in my practice. And when you experience it as formless awareness, then there's no time. And when there's no time, there's no entropy. And that's the way you enhance longevity. Well, you can do all the signal molecules and biohacking and all that stuff. But this is the way to conquer the human construct that we call death, because death doesn't happen to consciousness. It happens to the activities of consciousness, perceptual, cognitive, memory, etc. But you can go even beyond that in your identity. So change your identity 
from being a person to the awareness in which a person is just a process like any other process. So a lot to unpack there. And I, I, I found the, the phrase or term exit strategy interesting. And to me, it seems that people really focused about focus on longevity and biohacking are all about prolonging the exit, but they don't necessarily think about the exit strategy. So, you know, I've been talking to all these famous uh, um, longevity experts. I have their books right now on my table, and I'm not going to mention the names. Very famous people. But yeah, they're coming at it from an anxiety level. There's almost stress about living longer. And so, you know, that's, that's not the way it should be. You know, you should be... Um, of course, live longer, live healthier, and actually understand that birth and death are constructs, human constructs, to a timeless awareness, a timeless being that is not subject to birth and death. You know, when you ask the great masters, what happens after you die? They say, I was never born. Hmm. The wrong question. You know, we have access to all these tools, all these wearables, data, technology. Yeah, and with, too. Yeah. yeah. And so how, how do you, I, I think, look, information is, is empowering, but at the same time, it's safe to say you can't let it rule your life and, and how you go about this, this practice, if you will. Well, I make a distinction between data, information, knowledge, and wisdom. So data is, let's say, a... Temperature today is uh, 46 degrees Fahrenheit in New York City. That's data. Information, while well, it's cold. Um, knowledge, if I want to go outside, I should wear warm clothes. None of this is wisdom. So data leads to information, which is the resolution of uncertainty. Information leads to knowledge, which we can use for divine or diabolical purposes. We can use information, knowledge to communicate wonderful information to the world, to actually discover the technologies for a more peaceful, just, sustainable, healthier, and joyful world. But we can also use knowledge to create nuclear bombs, cyber hacking, biological warfare, extinction of species, poison in the food chain, and sleepwalk to extinction using this knowledge that we have created over thousands of years. On the other hand, there's something called wisdom. You know, Jonas Salk said, uh, and he was a great mentor for me, you know, Jonas Salk, the man who discovered the polio vaccine, he said, the next phase of our evolution has to be meta-biological evolution. Meta means beyond biology, and it's the evolution of consciousness and also the evolution of the consciousness of consciousness. And he said that will become the new criterion. Wisdom, which is knowledge that cultivates, nurtures, enhances life on this planet, should be the next phase of our evolution. And we can use technology for that too. So it sounds like you prioritize wisdom. Only thing that matters. And then, in my view, one way to acquire wisdom is through age and experience. But how do you think about that? I do. I think aging should be the wisdom of experience and the biology of youth, that combination. Nothing better, because in youth, you know, as Oscar Wilde said, youth, what a pity to waste it on the young. <laughs> 
so on on that note i'm curious how has your routine changed over the years you know say say by decade you know in your 20s 30s 40s 50s 60s now to your 70s in terms of your 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 health and wellness practice so my yoga pranayama meditation practice has increased over the years <clears throat> i do about two and a half hours in the morning of yoga pranayama and meditation and then i've incorporated another practice uh, at night before i go to sleep i spend about depending on how fast i sleep sometimes i could spend between half an hour to almost an hour and a half um, meditating on my personal depth and actually going beyond this domain into other domains of experience i now have a relationship with a tibetan lama uh, who's who's not even to be found is in the uh, himalayas uh, beyond lay and lives alone and uh, comes once in a while to lay uh, maybe every 6 weeks to to for his groceries but he doesn't have a cell phone etc and we've learned to communicate uh, non locally in the dream world so that's my new adventure and that will be a book at some point called awakening my my story so talk to me for a moment i can, about what that looks like for people when you say communicate non locally well i close my eyes when there is and then if i open my eyes i can see an apparition but then he directs me to close the eyes again and then in the beginning of our relationship um he would take me on kind of adventures into other um dimensions what the tibetans call lokas lokas are locations in space time um, but there are actually dimensions of consciousness these is none of that he just sits there in silence and if i open my eyes and see the apparition is says close them again and you don't know that are where wearables i mean i'm the first time i'm talking publicly about this um because it came up and maybe i won't anymore but when i look at my wearables in the morning when he's there um especially in the past when you know he would visit me my heart rate variability would go out of whack my heart rate would speed up everything my sleep would disturb be disturbed and so Uh, i said to um, cut down on the adventures and just let's sit in silence and now i have i mean my scores are like 100% <laughs> and all of that so you know it's very interesting any experience that you get attached to will cause turbulence in the mind good or bad but when you settle into the source of experience which is pure consciousness everything is perfect I'm curious have you ever met this person in physical sense very long time ago he allowed himself to be photographed and um, um through uh, a person that I know in India television um, he was the former ceo of a of a television station called doordarshan which means vision from afar and here he is by the way yeah, can you see him Okay that's when he was in his late 90s he's now 90 106 in perfect health and is does he have the same experience as you 
Say that again. Does he have the same experience as you? I'm, I'm curious, did you have this experience and then reach out to him and say, hey, this is what I'm experiencing. Are you experiencing the same? There's a lot of silent communication. So in the morning, what I do is I write notes on anything that comes to mind. And it's a process. This is a, you know, this process is pretty recent that I'm talking about after a visit to India recently. So what do you think this experience tells us about consciousness, our capacity to connect with people uh, beyond the physical sense, uh, how connected we really are? What do, you, what do you think that tells us? You know, the second chapter of the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali deals with what are called vibhutis or People usually translate them as supernormal powers. You know, things like extrasensory perception, non-local communication, clairvoyance, clairaudience, experiencing your body as uh, without form, experiencing past lives, future lives. And I used to teach that course. Uh, and, you know, I, I stopped teaching it because a lot of people used to freak out, you know. And some people would have experiences, others wouldn't. So... There was a lot of, as usual in the West, everybody's competing with everybody, even for spiritual attainment. So I stopped teaching it. But it's a very valid part of the teaching of yoga. It's called vibhutis, and it's the awakening of what we call non-local dormant potentials. In yoga, they don't use words like psychic or anything, even extrasensory perception. They say this is normal abilities, they're just lying dormant because you're asleep. If you wake up, you would consider them normal. And also Patanjali, who is the original author of yoga, was the inspiration for my new book, which you're promoting. Um, he was Patanjali is the original teacher of yoga. Every school of yoga comes from Patanjali. We don't know when he lived, okay, but in antiquity. So he cautions, he says, don't get attached to these powers. First of all, they're normal. Secondly, they're proof that what you call physical reality is the least awakened state. So in yoga, we have a physical body, which is matter and energy. Then we have a subtle body, which is mind, intellect, and ego. You can't see it, but we all know that we have a mind, <laughs> intellect, and ego. It's not the brain. Brain is part of the physical body. Mind, intellect, and ego the subtle body and then there's a body behind this and it's called the bliss body and that's who you really are beyond your karmic body so the physical body is usually called the karmic body or the conceptual body because it's a concept for for actually a perceptual activity the physical there's no such thing as a physical body because everything that we call the physical world is actually interpretation of human perception that's all it is. All we experience is perception, images, feelings, thoughts, sense, perceptions. Then we create the construct of a physical body. So there, anyway, there's a physical body, a construct. There's a subtle body, mind, intellect, and ego that you can't see, but you can experience. And then there's a bliss body, which is your real body. It's also called the causal body. It has soul and spirit and jiva and atman, these are Sanskrit words. So if you close your eyes and you do nothing, you become aware you're having a conversation with yourself. Okay, that conversation is about two things. 
memories and desires. It's based on past experience. So if you're remembering happy moments, your body feels pleasurable. If you're remembering unhappy moments, your body feels uh, painful. And this pain-pleasure body is called the conceptual or karmic body. It's your internal dialogue that you're having with yourself, your conversation. And it's basically the interpretation of experiences, which we call karma. Now, if you go behind this, there's this bliss body, which is totally unaffected by time, spaceless, dimensionless, infinite, and transcendent. So the goal of yoga is to get there with all the things we do. That's what Royal Low Yoga, Raja Yoga as it's called, Royal Yoga. The physical postures are only part of it. You know, the, so, so the first two, yamas and niyamas, are just principles of social and emotional intelligence. But then Patanjali is very clever. He knows that people will relate to the physical body more than anything else. So he jumps right into yoga asana. But he says the word yoga asana, asana means seat of awareness, which we call postures. They are seats of consciousness. That's why these yoga postures have names, happy baby, you know, blissful child, cat, cow, whatever. They, they are supposed to change, shift awareness, the modes of awareness, till you ultimately realize your body is made of awareness. That's the third limb. The fourth is pranayam, hundred of techniques to use breath to regulate the autonomic nervous system. The the so that's the fourth. The fifth is what they call pratyahara, but actually science now is recognizing pratyahara as something called interoceptive awareness. So perception is when you look at the outside world. Interoception is when you know what's happening in the inside world in your body. So we all learned interoceptive awareness as babies. We called it toilet training. Um, we learned how to control our bladder and, and our bowel. But the yogis say, hey, why did you stop there? You can control your breath. You can control your heart rate. You can control your heart rate variability. You can control your autonomic nervous system. You can control self-regulation in the body, in the, the body temperature. All this is in yoga and Patanjali. So that's the the fifth uh, limb of yoga. The sixth is uh, focused awareness, attention, intention. The sixth is mindfulness and meditation practices. And the seventh is transcendence or samadhi. So that's what I attempted to do in this book. Not, uh, and I did it in a dilute form because, you know, Patanjali, nobody would understand the of his knowledge, you know. I agree. And so the title of the book is Living in the Light, Yoga for Self-Realization. And, you know, I think about light. Light is something I think we're all attracted to, but it can be a vague spiritual term. How do you think about defining light, living in the light? Okay, so modern science, when you say, what is light? They say photons. Okay, but photons don't explain experience. Right now, you're looking at me. According to current science, on your screen, photons are appearing, which are colorless and dimensionless. The photons that are appearing on your screen are coming to your eyes as colorless and dimensionless. 
from your eyes, there's an electrical current going into your brain. In your brain, there's electrochemistry, and voila, you see colors and shapes and forms. How? Science calls that the hard problem of consciousness. We cannot explain how electrical currents going to the brain create the experience of the world with colors, shapes, sounds, textures, feelings, emotions, thoughts, imagination, desires. And science is still struggling because science is based on the assumption that there is a substance called matter. That's an assumption. Nobody has actually ever seen a substance called matter. All you've seen is your own perceptions. That's all you, and they're a human. It's a narrow band of perceptual activity, very different than an insect with a hundred eyes or a bat that knows only, uh, you know, ultrasound, etc. So experience is species specific. The only light there is, according to spiritual traditions, is the light of awareness. Without the light of awareness, photons would remain colorless. The color, there's no color in the real world. Color is in consciousness through the light of awareness. So when we say light, when Jesus says, be the light, okay, actually there are very, lot of, lot of these things are found in Gnostic gospels too. I am the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Be the light. Don't hide your light under a bushel, etc., etc. That's the light of consciousness. So what does one feel like when they're living in the light? As Joy, joy. The only thing I can say is joy and lightness of being. And, you know, as I think about yoga and how many people practice yoga, it, it, it feels like what you're describing is a more conscious way to practice yoga, whereas it seems like many people are just kind of going through the motions, if you will. They go through the motions unconsciously, but they still, have you noticed how addictive yoga is to the people who practice yoga every day, okay? So why? Why do they feel so good? And that is because they're shifting in consciousness. Now, if you have a good yoga teacher, like I do, Sarah Finger or Eddie Stern, you know, these are amazing yoga teachers, they don't stop just with the yoga movements. They cultivate awareness and incorporate breathing and bandhas and kriyas and mudras, all as means to give you the real experience of being. So, you know, yoga is a good entry point anyway. It doesn't matter whether, you know, you want to do yoga for, to give up smoking or lose weight to look good. It doesn't matter. It's a good entry point. So something else you, you talk about in the book is our, is our belief system. I thought there were very, you made some very interesting points, one of which was about false core versus true core beliefs. Can you talk about that? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, belief in a way is a cover-up for insecurity. If I asked you, do you believe in gravity? You'd say, I don't need to believe it. You know, this is it. I'm sitting on the ground. If I asked you, do you believe in electricity? You'd say, well, that there it is, the light that I can see. So to believe in consciousness or God as a cover-up for insecurity actually increases your insecurity. 
There is something else, and that is what I call core beliefs here, which is called faith. And the weird word faith is the certainty of the invisible without which the visible would not be possible. It is the invisible that transforms into everything that is visible. Now, today's science, you know, even the physicalists are calling it quantum vacuum, okay, that there's a quantum vacuum and there are these virtual, virtual particles that are randomly appearing and somehow mysteriously they create the world, the universe. But, you know, if random evolution was the cause of where we are, how did random evolution produce a brain which is capable of rational thought? doesn't make sense. So, you know, I think evolution itself is guided by consciousness. So, you know, where I go, I tend to think about our, our world today and, and look, there, there's, a, there's a lot wrong with it. There's a lot of trauma, but there's also a lot right. And I think about how each of us perceive these events differently. And so how, how do you think about the role mindset the role mindset plays in terms of in terms of having a, a, an abundance or a scarcity mindset. Well, yeah, I wrote a book recently called Abundance, which was inspired by Bob Marley, who said, uh, "Some people are so poor, all they have is money." <laughs> abundance is the mindset that yoga talks about. In fact, in the yamas and niyamas, it says, "If you want abundance." That's the third principle in the yamas. It's in the book. It's called asteya in Sanskrit. Asteya means non-covetousness. When you covet somebody else's success, you are declaring poverty consciousness. When you celebrate everyone's success, you are abundance consciousness. And that is called generosity of spirit. That then, If you are spirit, then your infinite abundance cannot be compromised. Infinity divided by infinity is infinity. Infinity subtracted by infinity is infinity. Multiplied by infinity by infinity is infinity. So it doesn't matter what you do with the infinite. It remains infinite. Your job as a yogi is to shift your identity from your finite body to your infinite spirit. That's, that's the abundance consciousness mindset. To build off of Bob Marley, I, I'm pretty sure it's Bob Marley. Another one of my favorite quotes is, some people feel the rain while others just get wet. Yes. It's so beautiful. Yes. So I, I'm curious, what, what does this look like for us in our day-to-day? -day? If we want to, how do we know if we're you know, living a, a conscious life in our day-to-day? -day? What are some of the practices? Obviously, yoga plays a big role, but... You know, in our daily interactions, whether that's, you know, getting a cup of coffee or I, I'm pretty sure you're still a prolific walker doing like 20,000 steps a day. What does that look like? And, you know, your Deepak's going for a walk in New York City. I start my day with yoga and practice, all the practices, but I also introduce four intentions, joyful, energetic body, loving, compassionate heart, quiet, reflective, creative mind, and joy and lightness of being. These are my four intentions. If I have that, I have everything. There's nothing more to be concerned about. So I do do that intention setting, four intentions, body, mind, spirit, and emotions. And then um, I do 
what needs to be done. I mean, it's kind of not work for me. It's like play. But talk to me about your walk specifically, because I think it's interesting. You're a prolific walker. When you're in New York, you're walking all the time, but you don't just walk mindlessly. You walk, talk, talk, talk to us about what that looks like. What are you doing when you're walking? What are you looking at? How are you? I first look at people and I see, can I see anyone here who's actually awake or are just, are they just sleepwalking like biological robots? And it's kind of distressing to me that everybody's rushing to some place and have no idea where they're going. It's like, you know, it's like Grand Central Station. So uh, I see that. But then as I see everything around me, including buildings, whether it's Empire State Building or Penn Station, I realize that that thing is not out there. It's a perceptual experience in me. The world exists in me. The body exists in me. The mind exists in me. It's me. But that me is not a person. That means the spirit. And so I use my walking as a process of awakening. So you're more observant. You're looking at people. You're looking at faces. You're looking at buildings. You're not just you know looking at your watch, checking your text messages. Uh, you're, you're trying to soak it all in. In some ways, it's almost like a it's like a meditative. Medicine. Yeah, it's meditative. So I'm curious, in 2023, from a spiritual perspective, how are we doing? We're at a crossroads, Jason. We have to be realistic. One road is definitely leading to extinction with climate change, with war. Look what's happening in Ukraine, but it's happening everywhere. Okay, it's not just Ukraine. Ukraine is the most worst scenario. India, Pakistan, Afghanistan, Israel, Palestine, Northern Ireland, doesn't matter. Okay, so there is war, there's conflict, there's climate change, there's extinction of species and there's mechanized death. That's a fact, and we cannot deny it. We also know, by the way, there are technologies to reverse all of this. So the other path, so that's sleepwalking to extinction. The other path is there's a collective consciousness that is waking up right now in the world. And scientists, social scientists say when there's shared vision, when we complement each other's strength, and if we bond with each other emotionally and spiritually, and we embrace maximum diversity, we could actually create a critical mass for a more peaceful, just, sustainable, healthier, and joyful world. So this is a very pivotal moment in our history as a species. On a a selfish note, uh, I was catching up with one of our mutual friends, and rumor has it you are excited about the city of Miami, which is where I relocated to. Is it, t- Tell me more about what you like about Miami. I like the art, uh, the Art Basel uh, yearly experience. I like the fact that Miami is embracing um, what is inevitable, blockchain, crypto, metaverse. You know, uh, Francis Suarez has become a good friend. I was recently given the keys to the city of Miami. And I used the occasion to um, do a public meditation uh, for the mayor and for at least all the school kids. So I will be coming periodically to Miami and also will soon have a center for well-being there. I probably won't reside there permanently, but I do see Miami as now a global um, city. 
uh, that you know is at the cutting edge of science, metaverse, blockchain, crypto. Crypto is here to stay. Whether we, you know, with a few setbacks like this guy who, you know, FTX. Yes, we all know. Yes, you know, it's all going to stay. And Miami is is cutting edge right now. It's not even. I don't even think of it. I used to think of it as a U.S. city. Then I thought, oh, this is a Latin America. Uh, little Cuba, but now I think it's a global community more than anything else. Agreed. So I'm curious if you could go back 50 years, what would 76 year old Deepak tell 26 year old Deepak? No regrets. Do everything that that you know. I, I listen. I smoked cigarettes. I got drunk. I experimented with drugs, but all that led me to where I am today. So, you know, I think the most important thing is don't seek validation. And don't be afraid of critics, because if you are, then you'll be offended for the rest of your life. And I spend a lot of time, you know, defending my actions, answering my critics, debating with scientists, total waste of time. It seems like one should stay off of social media if, if, if they don't want to seek validation or defend themselves from critics. <laughs> or use social media to help the world, you know, make it a forum for wisdom. And on, on that note, let's say I'll call it 50 years from now because you're in great shape. You're doing all the right things. 50 years from now, how, how would you like to be remembered? Well, uh, there was a guy called Deepak. Um, he no longer is in this dimension. But um, there's a little fragrance that still lingers. <laughs> what is that fragrance? What's the scent? It's the, the sense of delight. <laughs> so my last question, let's say you have a giant billboard in, in New York City or any city in the world, multiple cities in the world. And on that billboard, you could say anything to get your message out to everyone. What, what would you put on that billboard? Very interesting. You asked me that, Jason. I am getting a, a giant billboard, but live experience in something called TSX that's being launched in three months. It's a 24-7 music channel, but I have three five-minute slots, morning, afternoon, and evening, to lead the world in meditation. So if you have the right app and you can visit Times Square in three months, I'll be leading a daily meditation for five minutes, morning, afternoon, and evening. That's amazing. So you're literally getting a billboard in Times Square. Yeah, more than it's a screen, more than a billboard. You know, live. What's the one word? If you had a couple words to put up there to grab someone's attention, so that you know, picture the, the 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 mindless New Yorker hustling to the the train, and and they're not paying attention. And they they lift their head up and they see these three words, and they stop and they say, I need, well, "What are those three word three words or sentence to grab their attention?" Joy, laughter, and play. Amen. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure. I enjoyed this very much. Thank you, sir.